Our Father, many of us have learned the hard way that the, uh, the flesh profits nothing. Uh, what we create when we rely on our ability and skill and training and education is nothing but ugly religion. And some of us know the, the kinds of uglinesses that that produced in our own personalities, in, in relationships, in our marriages, in our families. We, we, um, we understand that leaning on the arm of the flesh is just, is just ugly. And so we come and we ask all over again that, for the Spirit of God to fall fresh on us. Father, fall fresh on that pulpit by your Spirit. Fall fresh on the pew by your Spirit. Make us reliant, dependent people, knowing that unless the Lord builds the house, we who seek to build will build in vain, will produce nothing other than flesh in all of its uglinesses, in all of its hurtfulness, I pray, O oh God, that you will have mercy on your people and grant us the fullness of the Holy Spirit, not just, not just for this Sunday, but for our ministry together forever. Father, we recognize that we need you. Oh, how greatly we need you. Meet us around this table, and might we drink in and chew on the very crucified Christ, might we be able to leave here knowing that we have met with the Jesus who saved us, that we join to these elements a renewed sense of faith in him, and might we leave here having tasted his beauty. We commit ourselves to that and do so in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Guys, if you've been around um, any Christian church in your Past, you know that there's a couple of things that we do, uh, that all of us do. There's a couple, we call them sacraments. Uh, there's two things. There's baptism and there's the Lord's Supper, communion. It's called the Eucharist in the Roman Catholic world. The Roman Catholic Church has seven sacraments. Protestantism, all of Protestantism, has two. Two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, communion. Um, the, the, the frequency of of those two sacraments varies from church to church. For instance, I know of some churches that have communion every Sunday. Um, I know of some churches that have communion once a quarter. Uh, one of my heroes is a man who advocated that you, we observe communion every day because it is a reminder of the centerpiece of the Christian faith. That is the death and sufferings, the broken body, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. So he advocated having being reminded of that great work on a daily basis. Here at Gracie Van, we have chosen to do that once a month, and we try to put it on the second Sunday of each month, which is today. Um, in those services where the Lord's Supper is the focus, we have sought to do things that um, hopefully will produce a, a, a higher level of participation on your parts. We don't want to create a bunch of pew statues or treat you like you're some spectator and spectator only. We want you to engage. So, so think about it. When these things come past you in a few minutes, you've got to do something with them, even if it means just passing it to the next person. 
there is at least some participation that you are for, that's forced upon you in, in this service. And we want to amplify that. We want to make, we don't want to, we want to draw you in. We want you to deal with your God personally and individually. If, if not every Sunday, certainly in this Sunday. Now, um, our theme for these communion services over the last several months has been drawn from a little story, a little vignette in the life of David. You remember that guy? He's the one that slew Goliath and he's the one that wrote most of the Psalms or at least half of the Psalms. Uh, David, the little shepherd boy, became king of Israel. There's a little story in his life where he was really not yet recognized as the king of all of Israel and he was kind of a fugitive. He was on the run. This is, it's recorded for you in 2 Samuel 23, if you'd like to look at it. But David is hanging out with a couple of his friends, or three of his friends, men that they called the mighty men, or David's mighty men. He was hanging out with these three guys, and, and he's uh, strolling the streets uh, or roaming around the campground or wherever he is. And he, and he just makes this, he just makes this statement to his three buddies. He said, oh boy. Oh, how I would love to have a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was his hometown. But it was a garrison of uh, some of his enemies. And so he wasn't in Bethlehem. He was kind of blockaded out of Bethlehem. And so he said, oh, man, would I love to have a drink from that well in, in Bethlehem. And his three buddies hear this. And because his three buddies love him, they say, dead gummit. Our king wants a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. So why don't we go get it for him? These three guys found out what the king wanted. And they went and got it for him. Because, you know, if you love the king, you just want to give the king what he wants. That's been our theme. What does our, what does our king want? And so you might remember back in October, I said... Let's, let's spend this communion service giving him confession of our sin. We didn't do it out loud, for heaven's sakes. We wouldn't want to confess our sin in front of a room full of people. We'll just do it to a smaller group. But we're going we're gonna to use this time to confess our sin, because there's plenty to confess, isn't there? Then the next month, in November, we gave him thanksgiving. Because thanks is something that he enjoys. And I showed you text about that. And we didn't do it in December because we have the Christmas Eve communion. But we're back to that same theme here in January. What does the king want? And, and today I want to suggest to you that one of the things that he delights in is the praise of his people. God inhabits the praises of his people. And so he delights in his people Praising him, not so much for what he did, but for who he is. Now, having said all that by way of introduction, what I want to do for you this morning, instead of me telling you what needs to go on, I want to, I've got a story for you. Because ladies and gentlemen, we've all got stories to tell, don't we? Life is just one grand story. Actually, Christianity comes to us via a story. The creation story and the story of Abraham and the story of the resurrection. It's a story. And um, about a month ago, there was a story that unfolded in the life of one of our church families. And it was quite a story. 
And I want you to hear it. And the, the, the hope of telling you this story, I'm not going to tell it, they are. But the hope is, my whole intent is, that you will hear this. And it will evoke from you praise. Oh, God, how great you are and how your greatness was illustrated in this story. Can I introduce you to the Hogues, Dave and Sherry? And uh, the, the Hogues have a family of four. There are two sons. Uh, one of their sons had to go back to school. One's here, and he's welcome to come up here if he wants to, but uh, that's, that's up to y'all. But I wanted you to hear this story. It's about a month old. I've heard a lot of it, most of it. But hopefully, by the time they're finished, what will be, what will be arising in your hearts is the desire to give to God what he desires, and that is praise. Dave, about a month ago, something happened in the Hogue family. Why don't you tell them about it? Back in December, um, one morning we came home from church um, and uh, received a phone call from Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was my oldest son who um, informed us that he was in the emergency room, had a series of blood clots, and that uh, the doctor got on the phone and and uh, told us that this was life-threatening and that uh, we needed to come to Knoxville. Uh, so we did. Uh, I'm going to nutshell this story. Bottom line is he went through a series of three surgeries. Um, they finally got everything. They had to remove his first rib and do some pretty extensive surgery on him. Um, my youngest son, who is at Austin P. State University, um, Michael, my oldest one, is a pole vaulter. My youngest one plays on the baseball team at college. And he came to see his brother, and on his way home, um, his roommate's car had a malfunction and swerved him into the path of an 18-wheeler going 75 miles an hour and flipped him five times down the interstate. Um, so we were in the hall of my son's hospital, my oldest son's hospital room when we received the call from my other son um, who'd just been involved in that kind of accident. So uh, at the drop of a hat... Uh, our whole lives were um, turned upside down. And, and I, I wanted to say that about this. It was the hardest week that I think um, I can remember going through. But it was, as you can tell, the sweetest and one of the most emotional weeks I think I've ever been through. Um, I literally went from uh, finding up a bathroom stall in the hospital so that I could have privacy and get on my knees and cry and beg God for the life of, of, of one son to then within 72 hours find myself on my knees on a dark interstate outside of Nashville praising God for sparing the life of my other son. Um, it was quite a turn of events. And... Um, the thing that kept going through my mind is I'd had a conversation with Jimmy some five or six years ago asking him, uh, what's my responsibility in, in providing for my family? I, I want to do the right thing. Maybe some of you men have 
had those thoughts and wrestled through that. But I know that we're to trust God to provide for our family, but at the same time, we have a responsibility too. And I wanted to make sure that I was doing my part. And uh, Jimmy told me at that time something that has stuck with me ever since. Uh, um, He said, your children and your family are better off in God's hands than they are in yours. Um, I'm not sure that, I'm not certain that I ever really applied that, but I can tell you that in these times I applied it and I knew it and uh, I trusted in that. And um, uh, there's just so many kindnesses of God in this situation. I mean, I had no idea that UT Medical in Knoxville was one of the premier cardiovascular units in the country. I didn't know that. And I sure didn't know that I'd need that. And uh, who'd have thought that the chief of surgery for the cardiovascular unit at Knoxville would be on call the day my son came into the ER? Uh, We wouldn't have known that. Um, The procedure he had is very specialized, and uh, there's one guy around the country that really teaches all the other doctors on how to perform it and how to do it. Who'd have thought that he'd be the doctor that was there at UT Medical to do my son's procedure? So who would have thought that on the interstate, lined with trees and signs and everything else, that where my youngest son's wreck would occur would be in a place where his car would roll and continue to roll till it stopped into basically an open field. Um, who, who would have thought that those things could occur? And um, I've always known that, that God is sovereign and that he's in control and that we're not. But God knew those things. Those weren't, those weren't coincidences. Those weren't things that happened. Those were the protection of a loving, gracious God. And I, I think about Psalms 91, 11, 12, where he says that he shall give his angels watch over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And God was gracious to my family. He was, he was good to us, and he protected us. And we know that he had his angels around um, my sons and my family. And uh, everybody tells me, um, when they hear of this, everybody I speak with says, oh, what a horrible, horrible week. You must have felt like you had a black cloud hanging over you that week. I'll tell you, it was the sweetest week I've ever had. And God's light shone brighter to me and my family than any time ever before. In my life, um, the love that this covenant family and others, the goodnesses of people, the kindness is unspeakable. And uh, I'll always be grateful to God and grateful for y'all and those people for that. Um, and I think that leads into what my wife would like to say as well.
Um, Dave and I did think a lot about it was really y'all that got us through that week. And that sounds kind of trite to say, but we really mean it with all of our hearts. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes 4.9. It says, two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And when I say I, I really I speak for us. But that, that is how I felt during that week. Um, and we give such praise for Christian friends and for this covenant family because um, my mind couldn't really function during those nine days. It was such a really weird phenomenon because for six nights we were extremely sleep deprived, especially him. I got a little more sleep than he did, but we, we really didn't have, I don't know, maybe six hours in six nights. It wasn't a lot. And so our, my mind was so fuzzy and and I, you can't really think anything deep at all, but um, we would get phone calls from you and emails from you, and y'all would remind us of the things that we knew were true. And your prayers and your th- and your calls and the things you wrote to us were really the foundation of our sanity that week because you thought for us and and just reminded us of the things that were true. And Dave and I talked about. Um, what we could possibly say to you, because we really feel unqualified in a way to be up here, because ours was a situation of, an, of a what could have been. It was an almost tragedy. But there are so many people here that live the reality of heartbreak situations. And you are really the ones that I gleaned on a, a lot that week. Um, Paige Mounts Wright sent me an email that week, and Um, Many of you who know her probably know that her first husband, Jeff, battled a brain tumor for eight years. And Paige wrote me a note. She said, it always surprises me when life changes in a minute, even though we know that our only constant is our Lord. We can never be prepared in our minds, but always in our hearts. We know and trust God's will for our lives and his provisions to carry us through. And that was really exactly what it was like for us that week. Cindy Newman was on the phone with me and she said, are you really doing as well as you seem? And I said, Cindy, we're very afraid, but somehow we're at peace. It's, I, I said, I can't even describe it. It's, it's really kind of unexplainable. But I know what it is. It's that peace that passes understanding. And it comes from hiding God's word in your heart because it's in there. And when your mind can't think, the Holy Spirit applies what you know about God to be true. And that's really what happened for us that week. And um, I thought about uh, Carol Austell when she faced a very serious health crisis of her own. Someone had told me about a conversation that she had with her daughter. And Jenna was asking Carol about her faith and her belief in God in that very bad situation. And I don't know the whole response that Carol gave her, but part of it was, Jesus is my best friend. And I thought about Carol during that week in the hospital because I remember thinking, I don't know what the outcome of this week is going to be, but I want that faith of Carol Austell where I could say that 
No matter what, Jesus is my best friend. And many of you know Helen Davis. She um, is a sweet, sweet friend in this church. And Helen is battling um, a very fierce fight with cancer right now. And she, um, honestly, I can tell you, she is one of the most amazing people I've ever known. And she frequently sends out email updates and prayer requests about her situation. But during that week of my need, I got a couple of notes from Helen and encouraging me and praying for me. But over this time of her fight, over these years, she sends out prayer requests. And one time she wrote to me and she said, Pray for our faith to grow as Glenn and I trust God through this trial and affliction. We know God is in control of our lives. And we only ask that he use me and us to fulfill his purpose here on earth. We are not asking why, just asking for God's will to be done through us. And I remember one time I was sitting in the hall of the hospital and I was thinking about Helen and thinking about um, how she has faced a very, very hard time. And at the time, our, it was very uncertain about Michael's outcome. We didn't know what it was going to be. And I remember thinking, I want the faith of Helen Davis that... I don't know the outcome, but I could respond with such a godly faith. Um, those kinds of things carried us through that week. And Jim Umloff would send text messages to Dave's phone. And one day he sent a verse, and this was my favorite one. It was from Job 12:10, and it said, In his life, in his hand, is the life of every creature and the breath of every mankind. And during that week, our li- the lives of our sons just like held in the balance of God. And that verse, we just blessed God for his sovereignty over their lives. But there was a couple of things that happened from this covenant family in Knoxville that were really neat. And one of them was um, Elizabeth and Chris Myatt. They were raised in this church. They got married. They live in Knoxville now. And Like Dave was saying, it just happened. Elizabeth is on staff at the hospital where Michael was, and she visited us every day. And the night that Michael was in intensive care, she arranged for us to have a room at the hospital where we could actually have a bed and we didn't have to stay up all night in the ICU waiting room. And it was such a comfort that God gave us a friend there. And then um, I remember the night... The morning of Michael's very first surgery, um, we were gathered around his bed to pray for him before they took him down. And I had thought about this a few hours before because I thought, hmm, I know he won't make it through the prayer. And I don't think I will either without getting very emotional. And we didn't want to scare Michael to death before we sent him down to surgery. And I just remember thinking, well... We're just going to have to wing it and see what happens. And right before the prayer, in the room comes Brent Harriman, who was, again, raised in this church and served as the youth pastor here before he went on to seminary. And he's now on staff at RUF in Knoxville. And he was able to pray for us that day. And I'm so glad that God just very sweetly sent him at that moment because that's what we needed. And um, on Christmas morning, I think this was one of the sweetest things. Um, I think we all four had to drive a separate car to church that morning, but we were all arrived in, in separate cars. And 
Dave and I got home and we were getting Christmas lunch ready and the boys didn't show up and the boys didn't show up and they didn't show up and I think 20 minutes went by and we don't live but five minutes away and finally they got home and I said, where have you been? And Michael said, Mama, we could hardly get out of the church. So many people were coming up to us and hugging us and saying, we're so glad you're okay. He said, some of the people I didn't even know. And all of us were so humbled and touched by your love for us that week. And there were two strangers, and I can never thank them. They were, um, one of the ladies was, um, called us on the side of the road. She had witnessed Will's accident. And um, we were two and a half hours away, and she said, um, I don't know where we are. I can see the cracker barrel from here. But I'll stay with your son till the ambulance can get here. And I don't even know her name to thank her for being with my boy till his daddy and I could get there. And there was another lady that stopped. And I have a down comforter, a great blanket, and it was so cold, and she gave this blanket to my son. I can't even return it to her. I don't even know who she was. But I thought, well, I'm going to carry this blanket in the trunk of my car, so maybe one day I could minister to somebody else's child who might need a blanket on the side of the road. But Dave and I, bless God, for Christian friends and a covenant family that he provided for us. You know, brother and sister in Christ, uh, the hogs can praise God in the light. Some of you have to praise him in the darkness. But praise him we must. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful that you saw fit in this instance to give such kind deliverances for the Hoag's family, not because they earned it or merited it or deserved it, but in your own sovereign goodwill, you saw fit to bring about such a deliverance. For others in this room, and there are many, you saw fit to do things differently. Father, for, um, for some, it is easy to praise you this morning. For others, it is not so easy. And so meet with them, Father. Meet with them through the administration of these common elements so that they can see you in all of your beauty. And might we leave here knowing that though your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts, you are not only sovereign, but you are good. Get glory for yourself, for Jesus' sake.